Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, SDS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in true crime. And tonight, a new best, best guest, uh, excited to introduce her momentarily. Uh, convicted killer and disgraced lawyer, Alec Murdoch. Well, we all know by now that he wants a new trial over the murders of his wife and younger son. Uh, he was filing court papers. Someone's phone is ringing. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love it. The start of uh, all good. All good, Jonna. Uh, Alec Murdoch is a uh, obviously a convicted killer now, a disbarred attorney, and now he wants a new murder trial and uh, he just filed papers uh, that accused the clerk of court in Colton County, South Carolina, of tampering with a jury who found him guilty. Uh, but the state says, uh-uh, not so fast, as a sled investigation shows inconsistencies with what the defense just presented. And they're now sort of infamous, famous, whichever way you want to look at it, the press conference that they held on the steps of the appellate court. Best guess. You know his face well. He is now being sponsored by Under Armour. That is how big he has gotten. Eric Bland oh, joins on. us. <laughs> he is representing four of the Murdoch jurors. We'll uh, get to whatever he's able to tell us about that. He was also selected for inclusion in the South Carolina Super Lawyers back in 2015, 2016, and 2017 for excellence and recogni- recognition as a super lawyer in professional liability. He also through 2023. Through 2023. Through 2023. There we go. There, I wouldn't expect anything else. He also uh, represented Gloria, is representing still Gloria Satterfield's family. It's involved with uh, Stephen Smith as well. So uh, long tentacles into the Murdoch saga. The new best guest, Jonna Spillbore, like Donna, she said, with a J. Uh-huh. She is a popular and outspoken attorney, a calm, calmness, a legal analyst appearing regularly on my old home, Fox News Channel, the Fox Business Network, and other television networks. She is the resident legal expert taking questions and having fun, more importantly, every Thursday morning on the number one morning radio show in New York's Hudson Valley, WPDH 101.5. She also co-hosts the award-winning radio show, Happy Hour with Jonna and Carol, two cool names. And then Amy Lawrence Lovely coming to us from her uh, home studio tonight, from an undisclosed location, which is her home. She fights for the civil rights of the wrongfully accused every day in her practice at the lovely law firm. She was on MTV's Teen Mom 2 and has appeared on the Dr. Phil show. Uh, Before we get cracking here, I've got three attorneys, so I'm going to do this once again. Um, We've been covering, and uh, Eric Bland is from Philadelphia. I'm going to put up a picture here. A little disturbing, but it's nothing that attorneys haven't seen, and I think you guys are aware of it, but I want to continue to bring light, and here's the photo. We've been covering this story. This is a case of Ellen Greenberg. She was a school teacher. She was found dead in 2011 in a tony little suburb of Philly called Maniunk. Well, her death is extremely suspicious. She had a fiancé at the time. Uh, A lot of evidence uh, pointing in... uh, directions of a very suspicious death. Uh, this was originally ruled a homicide. Then there was a meeting of the minds and uh, politicians, and the uh, death was ruled undetermined, only to about three months later eventually be ruled 
a suicide. And I'm asking everyone, look at this photo. Impossible. To us. Yeah, there you go. You heard the attorney, Eric Bland, Absolutely say impossible. Insane, right? Yeah, insane. Um, this is a photo that uh, an independent uh, coroner put together uh, for an autopsy uh, representing the injuries to Ellen Greenberg, who died in 2011. Well, the reason I'm bringing this up is the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania just denied, because of cause, denied the Greenbergs a chance to even get this case investigated. It has never been investigated. There are connections in this uh, fiance's family that run all the way up the food chain to the governor of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. I've tweeted about it a lot over the last bunch of days, including some of the connections. And uh, as you can see on the bottom right now, you can text the governor. Just on Friday, he announced he has a new cell phone where you can text him. Well, I'd love everyone. The number is 717-788-8990. If you are not uh, watching this, again, just listening, the number is 717-788-8990. Please reach out in a very diplomatic manner and ask the governor to please use the resources and power of his office to do the right thing. The Chester County DA is now allegedly investigating this after this case has been kicked all over the map. But another blow to Josh and Sandy Greenberg. We've had him on the show. Uh, this is just um, one of the biggest travesty of justices that I've seen, and I want to continue to shed light on it. That is Ellen Greenberg on the left and a photo of uh, the wounds and injuries she had uh, when she died under suspicious circumstances. Uh, one of the injuries to her heart was four inches deep. Um, tough to do that. And by the way, two of the wounds came post-mortem, according to an independent autopsy, which means she stabbed herself twice after she was already dead. So uh, I'd love to, you know, so for people, about 100%. Go ahead, Amy. Has, has, has this family ever considered filing a civil suit? There's a suit going on now. Uh, that would but give them not, subpoena power? Uh, that is what they're working on, uh, but they're continuing to hit roadblocks. Uh, it's been suggested that they file a wrongful death lawsuit against the uh, family, yeah. uh, but they have not gotten to that point yet. But if any attorneys want to step in, you guys are a lot smarter than me with some suggestions. Happy to connect you with Josh and Sandy Greenberg who are looking for answers. Keep in mind, this is 2011. This is 12 years this has been going on. They've spent more than a half million dollars of their own money uh, to investigate this case. And the state and the city, uh, Philadelphia, has never, ever investigated this. Um, and it just reeks. So, you know, uh, Can I ask a question, too? Was there, yes. like, was there a suspect? Was there a lover, a boyfriend? A uh, she was yeah, lover? fiance. Yeah, she was living with a fiance. Um, a lot of suspicion pointed in his direction. A lot of evidence uh, that substantiates. Um, there, there, there's so much to it. Um, That's the size of a knife, Joel? Uh, roughly, yeah. Yeah, in terms of it's impossible to be able to get that behind the head and and have the entry wound be straight. Yeah, it's it's uh, that's what it's we a like very, to call some bullshit, Eric. That's what we like to call yeah, it. That's yeah, right. in, in South Carolina. Amy. So uh, I love Amy. Yeah, I know you. This is not your guys' ex, uh, area of expertise, but uh, Eric, I know you're you know very connected to Philly. And if anyone wants to help, we're working on getting some billboards up. The uh, district attorney, a guy named 
Larry Krasner is running for uh, re-election and uh, he's not going to be happy if he gets voted out. So uh, the people of the Commonwealth and the city of Philadelphia have the power. This should, to- this should be whoever's running against them, their platform. 100%. I will investigate the murder of Ellen Greenberg. Everybody can vote for that. Well, how come that's in Chester County? Because Maniunk is uh, borders on Philadelphia and um, Montgomery County. Everyone's kind of recused themselves. Um, I could go into more and more details. Um, You know, it was initially ruled a homicide, but even though it was ruled a homicide, they let a professional cleanup crew come in and they let uh, the fiance's uncle, who's a well-known judge, come and pick up computers Oh. Uh, laptops, cell phones, everything was cleared out the night of the murder. Um, Sounds like when Alex went to the hospital after the boat so, crash. Sounds like some low yeah. country shit. Yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of stinkiness. So um want to get to Murdoch, but I want to keep this on top of everyone's mind. So uh, you know, if if uh the, the greater minds here, woman. Eric Bland, John, Amy, yeah, she was a very pretty young woman, the too young, 27. Was. Yeah. Uh, if you have any ideas, please reach out to me. I can connect you with the family. I will now take this down and move it along. Oh. Uh, Eric Bland, I thought you were in the clear for a little bit. You're going to get a little break from Alec Murdoch, but uh, you're kind of thrown right back in the fire. Now you're representing four of the jurors. How's everything going on your end? Uh, what can you tell us? Um, it's gone well. They've met. Uh, with SLED. SLED is investigating the allegations, which are very serious. Uh, I'm not going to minimize the allegations that are raised by the defense. You know, the for the system to work, it's got to work for the worst of us. So the rest of us, uh, it works for us. So, you know, Alex deserves to have a fair trial, deserve to have a fair trial. And these allegations are serious and they need to be looked into. But everything needs to be measured. And uh, without revealing the attorney-client privilege, I'm highly confident that when it comes time for my jurors to go under oath, uh, they've already given statements, but when they go under oath, if they do, I'm confident that they're going to say that their verdict was free from any duress. It was a just verdict in their minds, and uh, it was a product of their own free will, and that they believe in that verdict uh, when they made it and they believe in it today. But are, but are they going to say that what Miss Hill, what they're claiming she did happened, and despite that, they feel like it was their own free will uh, without duress? I, I can't tell you what they're going to say, but I'm going to tell you, Amy, that, um, they, that it wouldn't surprise me if all four that I represent disagree with what they have alleged that Miss Hill said or did. Um, I'm highly, I'm pretty confident of that. Now, I don't know what the other, I don't know what the other five are going to say or the other five. Yeah. I, six. I don't know what the other six are going to say, but at least my four, I'm highly confident that they're going to disagree with the allegations and felt that Miss Hill conducted herself properly, was uh, very accommodating to all of the jurors and, and never crossed the line. Eric, are you representing the two that the defense team came forward and said there was two initially who got angry because she wrote the book and they came forward and gave statements? Are those among your clients or are you representing four unrelated to those Uh, original two? Four unrelated to those original two. Joe McCullough is representing those and he's uh, close with the defense. He's um, very close friends with Dick Harpootley. And Eric, did they specifically seek you out, uh, these four jurors, just because they know you from the from the trial and seeing you on, on the TV? Is that what happened? 
A little of both. Um, I was a little disgusted when Harpootlian in his press conference said that these jurors, all the jurors need to lawyer up. I felt that that was a very threatening thing for him to say. These jurors gave six weeks of their life to this case for $15 a day. And for a lawyer to just tell every lawyer you need to lawyer up really offended me. Um, and so I sent out a tweet that said, look, you know, if anybody needs some advice or they want representation, my partner and I will give it to you and uh, do it free of charge. And the phone started ringing. Mm. So it's all pro bono work. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like it's, uh, you know, it's one thing for the Harpootlian to file the motion and do his investigation. He's certainly entitled to do that, but to threaten jurors, I've never heard of jurors being threatened to say, you need to go get a lawyer. I mean, it's ridiculous. Mm. Um, John, to you, this is a big picture question, but I think it's interesting and sort of timely with everything going on. Uh, what responsibility, this is from Shelly Raposa, by the way, I would say best guest, better community. We've got a really smart audience. What responsibility to the greater good does the defense have when they know a client is guilty? Uh, the implication here is obviously with Alec Murdoch, but uh, John, do you want to take that? Sure, because that happens all the time. That's a really common question, and, and usually it's posed uh, in, a, in a more simplified way, like how do you defend a guilty person? And look, a lot of clients are guilty, but our job isn't to judge the client. Our job is to make sure that if they are guilty, that the investigation, that their rights are protected, the investigation was conducted properly, because whether you are accused of murder or you're accused of jaywalking, there are rules and procedures and guidelines and protections that that protect all of us. And if we don't uh, protect those who are who are guilty, then the ones who are innocent are also going to get caught up and have their rights violated. And that's kind that's an, another overly simple way to explain why we do what we do. And it doesn't matter so much the client's actual guilt or innocence. It matters whether their constitutional rights are protected. But Johnny, the you can't, there's a limitation on that. You can't put that person on the stand if you know that that person is going to lie or you elicit a lie from them uh, with your questioning. So there is a limitation on what a lawyer can do when they know that their client is guilty. Well, well, no, you're absolutely right. Unless the client wants to get up on the stand and admit the truth, but you can't suborn perjury. You can't concoct a story. So if you're, if your client's going to lie, then he's got to, he or she has to sit next to you and shut up because that's the way it is. We can't put our ethics on the line for that. And, and as lawyers, we're protected against doing that. Uh, Amy Lawrence, coming back to you, but uh, Yala, I agree with uh, Eric Bland. How dare Harpootian say get a lawyer to the jurors uh, with his shades on at that, at that, uh, adding to the, to the insult there. Uh, and she goes on, EB, give us a teaser of what the jurors are going to say. Um, can you do that? You've got a attorney client privilege, so I don't know if you're able to. Uh, I think under oath, and uh, I'm not going to tell you what they're going to say, but I'm confident it's going to disagree with the allegations raised by Harpootlian in his motion and with the uh, two jurors who gave affidavits, one being known as the egg juror who was discharged and then another juror who actually rendered a verdict. I'm confident that they're going to disagree. And they're going to state again, I believe, that Miss um, Hill was, conducted herself in accordance with the judge's direction and what she's supposed to do as a clerk of court. 
Eric, are you giving a little hint into the future? Are they, if there's a hearing and I'm going to bet that there will be a hearing, your right. client will be testifying in that regard? Yes. I mean, we're going to obviously, I don't want my clients. Um, yeah. I'm going to try to get that sealed. I don't want them to be, you know, subject to the world. I think that that needs to be a closed hearing um, and they need to be able to uh, feel like that they're not going to be threatened. It's they've already been threatened by Harpootley and, and, I just don't want them out. I, the I, I don't want your clients to, I don't think their face should be shown or their name, but I don't think it should be behind closed doors because that's exactly the problem in this County to begin with. Everything's done behind closed doors. No, I agree with you, Amy. Yeah, no, I I'm perfectly fine with them speaking. No, I just don't want their identity. Absolutely. Yes. Because one of the things that, cause I've been involved in two cases where we, there's been some kind of jury issue after the trial. Mm -hmm and motions made and uh, it wasn't a long period. There wasn't an investigation by a police department. The judge brought everybody in and put them on the stand and asked them questions under oath. And he got to the bottom of it um, very quickly. And so I wish that had happened because then we'd have some finality to it. Um, and we know the answer. And when I hear her and say, lawyer up, it's so like everything he, there's not a, a ounce of decency in his body the word in his body. <laughs> like he can't just say like, you know, I really advise. Cause I mean, as attorneys, we say that all the time. You might want to look at getting a, a lawyer, you know, I don't, I don't know what these jurors have to say, but if there's something there, you might want to go seek counsel. I say that every day to people, you know, um, but the way they said it, and I thought they came off as like dickheads. For lack of a better word, <laughs> let's just say it. They came up with your assholes. Johnny, Johnny you don't know. You don't know Amy. She's got spice, man. She's right. got spice. They, John, they John, is a New York, John is a New Yorker, so it ain't gonna phase her. But no, that press conferences is they came in with their little tiny sunglasses on, and they were too cool for school. We were gonna see this. I mean, it was a bomb for me because anytime we have anything having to do with a juror king and prank, that's that's. And when you bring those kind of accusations, you better bring it and you better bring it hard with all the facts and evidence behind it. And instead of, I thought that um, Mr. Barber, the attorney that works with them, because he's not lost his credibility with the public and the court, should have been the one to do it. And th But this is ego talking, right? That's ego up there on the screen. That's not lawyering. That's ego. And he probably should have been the one that got up and said it because when they got up there and said it, they started dancing around really the facts. And when they started yeah, getting I mean, asked the hard questions, like, uh, well, I believe there might say the blah, 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 and they wouldn't. They, somebody should have got there and said, if, if you go for the king, you better kill the king, number exactly. one. Number two, it seems that the Griffin, it seems that Griffin had wind that, that possibly this was going on during the trial. And there's a significant argument that he may have waived the right of Alex to complain because. If he knew that this was going on, it should have been brought to the judge's attention. That's been uh, written about in the brief reply by the attorney general so far. And then the attorney general put a little teaser out there to say that when they file their full brief after Dick corrects the fact that they didn't file it correctly with an affidavit from Alex Murdoch himself, that there's going to be um, inconsistencies in connection with what Harpootlian is alleging. And that, that is a that's, hearing. Don't I mean, you that's, go ahead, John. Uh, real quick, that was a big disclaimer uh, that the state uh, basically issued when they released their statement saying 
uh, that they better not find out that either Jim Griffin or Dick Harputlian had known about these allegations during the trial. And if so, that is very problematic. Real quick, uh, NJ Kulchik is saying justice for Ellen Greenberg. Uh, someone said Houdini couldn't have done it, just sickening uh, justice for Ellen. So we're going to keep working on that, everybody. Please tweet, email, do whatever you can to uh, Governor Josh Shapiro. And don't reelect District District Attorney Larry Krasner. He's part of the problem. Uh, do it uh, in a political uh, way, but let them know you're uh, displeased. Uh, real quick, John, I'm going to let you jump in. But uh, so the the state basically uh, came out and said, "Look, we've got issues, uh, doubts about this, these jury tampering allegations. We're going to kind of work backward to get to those allegations a little later on." Uh, but they uh, basically said an ongoing investigation that's being conducted by SLED found significant issues with the claims. Jana, uh, I'll stop there and let you pick up with what your thought was. So uh, my initial thought was, why can't you make the argument? Well, first of all, we don't want to turn the defense team into two witnesses at this hearing, number one. Number two, Eric, why don't you make the argument that your clients shouldn't be compelled to testify at all. And the reason I say that is because the trial is over, right? The, the judge doesn't have really his hand on their shoulder anymore. The important, not the important, the central uh, players in this are the two jurors that initially came forward and said something is wrong. Something was untoward. Becky Hill did something wrong. That's all the the judge needs to hear from in order to make a determination. No, to whether or not to overturn this. The problem is that we we need sunlight, as Amy said. In this case, it's very important. Um, the is sunlight it cooperated is cooperated by Amy. And the the fact is, what would you do, uh, Jana? I'm going to make you Judge Newman, Judge Jana. If two people on mm -hmm. the jury say uh, there was interference, uh, they haven't necessarily said, by the way, that it influenced their verdict and it switched them. But they're 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 clear that she interfered and overstepped the line. What would you do if 10 people come in, 10 of the jurors say, no, none of it happened. None of it influenced us. And she didn't do anything wrong. So then you got 10 to two. I think in that circumstance, the judge can't do anything but leave the verdict alone, because I think we don't want a system where jurors render a verdict. Then they're individually polled. They say it's a true and just verdict of their own free will, no duress or coercion. And then three or four months later, either they're getting second thoughts or the community is laying hard on them with wood and telling them that they did something wrong. I, I'm really scared about jurors changing their mind. So what do you really do? What are you going to do if it's a 10-2 vote, Judge John? And tell me right well, now, real so quick. Here, here's, here's the problem that I see. If you have two people who are going to come forward in order to do nothing, in order to leave this verdict alone, then Judge Newman is going to have to say, those two jurors are lying through their teeth. That's the only way that he can leave this this verdict alone, because if they're not lying through their teeth, then it doesn't matter that 10 other people said, well, it didn't bother me. That's not going to be the issue. The issue is going to be if it happened, it shouldn't have happened. And he, and Alec Murdoch's going to be entitled to a new trial. If but what if the other 10 said it didn't happen? What if well, then 10 said it didn't then somebody, then, then 10 of the people of the jury are either telling the truth or lying. The other two are either telling the truth or lying. If you're a defendant, if you're a defendant and that happens to you, you're going to want a new trial. And I think the Constitution is going to dictate that you get one under these circumstances. It's not like they came out for no reason. There is a book. We can't deny that Becky Hill, the clerk of the court, wrote a goddamn book 
right? <laughs> we can't deny that. So whether it was influenced by a dislike for Alec Murdoch, whether it was influenced by a chance at fame or fortune, doesn't matter. For two people, unless they're lying through their teeth, to come forward, it, not only does it necess uh, necessitate a hearing, I think it necessitates a new trial. And I don't like Alec Murdoch. I don't like him. But I think he's entitled to a new trial. Okay, I want to read this excerpt real quick, guys. I'm going to read Go this for excerpt. It. Go for it. By the way, the book is Behind the Doors of Justice. You're seeing it on the screen right now, The Murdoch Murders. We had Neil Gordon, the co-author on, and Becky Hill, who's a controversial figure. She's the elected clerk of court in Colton County. She has not really commented other than to say she's she innocent. She yeah. can't, Joel. Well, she, 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 she's she, in jeopardy. She Yeah, but she talked very briefly to a newspaper basically saying that I'm not guilty. But go ahead, so Amy. I've only read a couple chapters of this. I got it yesterday afternoon. It'll be a quick read. I just didn't have time because I've been in court. But page two, it bothered me from pa at page two. Although I was conflicted about knowing the Murdoch family and about having so many people watching and listening to me as I read the verdict, I was mostly concerned about Alex being found innocent when I knew in my heart he was guilty. I had this fear that the goodwill the Murdochs had built up in the community would influence the jury. For more than a century, the Murdoch family had built their name throughout the Low Country. Their legacy of controlling the justice system as solicitors, attorneys, and prominent wealthy family um, had come with alleged misuse of power, yet there was a lot of love and loyalty. When I, when I hear that she's concerned about the verdict and what it should be, that's a problem, y'all. And the thing is, what these jurors are alleging happened. She wanted a quick verdict, said things like it should come back quickly, these kind of stuff. And it did. And the thing is, y'all, I don't, mm. I don't like, look, I, I think he did it 100%. I'm with you, Eric. He's the biggest piece of shit that ever walked the face no, of the no, earth. But what I'm saying, she didn't say they, it, it has to be right? a quick verdict. She didn't but, say it has to be a quick verdict. I think you're going to hear the testimony is. She well, said, y'all can deliberate to 10 o'clock tonight. 10 o'clock. And then we're, you we're can deliberate to 10 o'clock tonight. And if you, Please let me finish. You can deliberate till 10 o'clock tonight. If you don't reach a verdict, you will have to stay in a hotel. And I've already made arrangements for you to go to the Microtel Hotel. So that's that's what I think you're going to hear from 10 of those jurors. Eric, I think what she about said the, you have to reach a verdict by 10 o'clock. You can deliberate if you don't reach a verdict by 10. You have home. to stop and we'll go we'll put you up in a hotel. Which, Eric, what about the smoke? What about this? What about the smoking cigarettes? What about the smoking cigarettes? Allegedly, for those who don't know, uh the clerk of court, Becky Hill, would not let them take smoke breaks. Six of the jurors were uh basically nicotine addicts, big smokers, and uh she wouldn't let them do that. What about that, Eric? Nobody complained that they had to get a cigarette. She said, I would prefer that. I believe she said, I prefer that you continue deliberations. But look, it, there's not a constitutional right to smoke, but I get it. People are going to say it's like denying food or denying a bathroom break. I'm not going to get inside a smoker's head because I don't smoke. So I don't know the, the pull of a cigarette, but nobody actually voiced to say, I have to get a cigarette. They asked. And she said, I would prefer you not to. I think, I think in New York, have, you're not allowed to. I think right? we have Jana, to I think in New York, you're not allowed to smoke. I, I think once deliberations start, unless there's going to be a break, you you can't go get a cigarette. That's what someone said, I think, on Joel's show the last time I was on. But you get you can get breaks during deliberation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And, and John, what about this? The jurors were polled. They're always polled. Um, I mean, do you, John, do you recall a case that you've covered, you know, either uh, either had as an attorney or covered from a media standpoint where you kind of see a complete breakdown of what was supposed to happen in the system after the fact? Have you seen something like this? Oh, after the fact? No, this I think this is the biggest example of something like that. Yeah, no, this is the absolute biggest example. But I'm not surprised, you guys. I'm not surprised that this is happening because now that we have the system that we have with cameras in the courtroom and everybody can be uh, famous in a minute and anybody can write a book, I think jurors try to get on these kind of trials so they can make money afterwards and that bothers the hell out of me too but we can't do anything about it. that's the age we live in everything is automatic everything is at your fingertips you can you can you can do that sort of thing but not the clerk of the court and preferably not the judge either because it just the appearance of impropriety in making money from your duties as a judge a clerk is is beyond and here we are this is the first time i, I can't think of another case where something like this, and maybe you two lawyers can, but I can't. Never, never a clerk of court. Usually, it's a prosecutorial misconduct where the prosecu prosecutors see, seat somebody on a jury that they know, or something like that, or one of the attorneys. But never a court officer. Sometimes there's been allegations against bailiffs, but never a clerk of court. Amy, you you got to agree. I had a bailiff. I, I tried a, a two week murder trial, the Innocence Project that I did. Worked for five years of my life on it. We got a not guilty. And after the uh, jurors love to call me after a case, they'll wait for me after a trial. It's very sweet. They want to talk about it. And I met a juror for coffee and because um, he just had so many questions still. Like, why Like why did they prosecute this case? There was no, you know, there's no evidence, this kind of stuff. I'm like, your guess is good as mine. I've been arguing that for years. But when I met with him, he told us about um, a bailiff, a deputy. In our in our system, that um, told the jury that they thought he was guilty as hell. Crazy, crazy, crazy. John, how about this from JQ? Uh, the lawyers approaching the jurors, meaning Poot and Griff, going out uh, to their homes, isn't that also a form of jury tampering? And then I want Eric Blant to be able to respond to a comment. But uh, John, I, what about them approaching jurors? So it's not jury tampering when they're no longer a jury. Number one. Number two. They don't have to talk to anybody. They don't, they can if they want to, they don't have to. So if you knock on the door and the juror wants to start flapping his or her gums, that's great. And if they don't and shut the door in your face, you walk away. So, so no, that's not jury tampering. And the short answer. Uh, Guy Vermecton, Eric hates Alex so much. He's willing to say screw his rights. I got to say right off the top, the first thing Eric said was Alec Murdoch deserves a retrial. If this is in fact true, that's the first thing he said, uh, Eric, would you like to respond to Guy Vermecton? No, I uh, I would like to respond. I, I absolutely uh, agree that if she overstepped the line and interfered with the jury's deliberations or she gave direction, remember, she's a coordinator and a facilitator. Directions come from Judge Newman and Judge Newman only. Uh, now, she could transmit a message from Judge Newman, but she can't on her own uh, start directing the jury. If that happened, then that would be tampering. The question then becomes, though, the case law seems to say that with that tampering, the jury has to come forward and say it influenced their verdict and they would have voted differently. 
I, I do dislike Alex Murdoch, but I like the Constitution a lot more than I dislike Alex Murdoch. So I don't want the Constitution to be harmed. I want a fair, uh, fair trial and a fair jury for everybody that comes within our system. The same way that Gianna said it in the beginning, she said it perfectly. So I disagree with you, Governor Mecton. And uh, Eric, Eric, real quick, have you have you spoken at all to either Jim Griffin or Dick Harpootlian? I mean, it's a, it's a small state. Have you bumped into them? Have you had words? Have you talked to them? Well, I saw him last Thursday uh, at the sentencing hearing of Corey Fleming, um, where I, you know, I argued for Corey's sentence. And before that, they had the scheduling of Alex Myrtle's trial for my clients. The Satterfields is going to be on November 27th of this year. But no, uh there's so much bad blood between us. I do, I do communicate privately with Jim Griffin. I don't have, we don't have that much animus for each other at all. Uh, but I don't talk at all with Harpootlian anymore. It's just too toxic. Mm. Uh, there you go. You're hearing that on STS. Uh, ski hat Sarah with the ski hat back on. It was off for a while. Uh, question for Eric and the panel. What are your thoughts on the fact that uh, Becky Hill wrote a book at all? Eric, since they're asking, you want to grab that one and then we'll move it on. To, Disappointed. Uh, I think she should have waited. She should have waited until the appeal was done. Um, all court officers should have waited um, until they, they're done. The jury, they could do whatever they want. Um, witnesses can do what they want. But I think a court officer, an elected official, even Judge Newman, um, I think they should have waited knowing that there was an appeal filed. And certainly Harpootlin's going to make hay of the fact that Judge Newman went on the Today Show and gave an interview. Um, I just wish Miss Becky would have uh, waited a little bit longer. It's just not a good look. Yeah, Amy Lawrence, I mean, at the very least, the optics are not good. The trial just ended basically, and the book's out there. They're on the Today Show. She's allegedly taking jurors. I mean, just the optics alone are not very good, right, Amy? There's a total ick factor to the whole thing. If she had left office and then wrote this book, we would all feel totally different about it. But that's... I mean, I feel pretty certain she was writing this book in the midst of it as it was going on. I mean, she had every intention of writing this book, and there's just an ick factor to it. It doesn't feel right. There's a big Whether it was okay or not, it just doesn't feel right. And usually when it doesn't feel right, it ain't, right? And how would we feel if she wrote a book that said, I think he's innocent? I think they convicted an innocent guy. But how would we feel if she wrote that book? What right. would Hope and do if she wrote that book? I mean, it's just, it's so untoward. It, it's just unethical to do it at all at any point, even after the appeal, because it's, that would still raise issues of what happened during the trial. It's just not not a good book. Yeah. Well, let me just say that. Let me just say this real quickly, that um, the, the defense themselves were filming their nightly trial work and released it in the documentary that was on Fox Nation uh, two weeks ago when Buster spoke. So they everybody had their finger on making money off this. The defense had filming work product strategy. Can you imagine that, Jonna? They were discussing who they were going to put on. The second thing is Jim Griffin himself has a podcast now. So everybody, including me, I'm not excluding me, everybody has a finger in getting notoriety and getting money on this case. And that's the problem when you have a case like this. It became so big, so explosive that everybody was trying to cash in. Uh, Eric, what I was going to come to you with is, uh, so SLED has basically said uh, that, well, the state, uh, I should say, has come out and said that the police investigation has found significant issues uh, with the claims. Um, the uh, 
South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, which is led, is open to this inquiry into the matter over the objections of Murdoch's attorneys who question the agency's impartiality. And by the way, none of the sled investigators looking at this aspect were involved in investigating uh, the crime at all. But what I'm curious about, Eric, since you're uh, close to the ground on all this, when they say significant issues with claims, do we have any idea what these significant issues are, uh, Eric? Yeah. One is, um, I'm not sure Harpootlian is going to be able to participate in this investigation. It's a law enforcement investigation. It's a t- jury tampering is a crime. So this has to be done by the state. That's why the attorney general controls it and, and directs SLED to do the investigation. SLED is not going to defer to the FBI. That's one thing. The second thing in answer to your question is the significant discrepancies are, I believe you're going to hear from uh, my jurors as well as other jurors that Becky Hill did not do this and that they were not influenced by their verdict, that they sat through 26 days of trial, listened to over 100 witnesses, took in over 700 pieces of evidence, and made up their minds based on what came from the witness stand, not what was said by anybody. And I think you're going to hear some things, possibly, about this egg juror, about conduct that may have taken place during the trial itself, that disturbed some of the jurors. By the way, for those who are just kind of new to this, uh, she's referred to as the so-called egg juror because uh, when she was dismissed, Judge Newman asked her if if she needed to take anything out of the jury room, and she said she had a dozen eggs, and now she has been dubbed the egg lady juror. So that's how quick things happen in this world. Uh, MB says, I think so much of what Becky Hill writes in her book is an afterthought, an exaggeration, because she wants to be important. But Jonna Spilbore, regardless of the book, what's at issue here is the process, right? And uh, again, even Eric said, um, even though this guy is a convicted killer and a lot of people just openly do not like Alec Murdoch, um, and I think that's the vast majority of us, people um, who are you know, into the law and followers of this sort of thing believe that the process needs to be pure. Isn't that the bigger argument? Absolutely. That That is the argument. And that is why and you know, lawyers can get up here and defend somebody who everybody probably thinks is guilty. The jury thought, well, most of the jury thought he was guilty. He's an unlikable guy because let, set aside for a minute. Even if you think there's some scintilla, uh, some hint of evidence that he did not do this, Remember, he got on the stand and admitted to doing some horrible, disgusting, unethical things. Those 100 financial crimes, what he did to the Satterfield family, violating all of his clients, the the most sacred right. You don't touch Iola money. You don't. He's a horrible dude in that respect, even if he didn't kill his wife and his son. And that's, you know, obviously there's an excellent chance that he did that, too. But even still, even still, despite that, we can't say well, the rules don't apply to him because he's such a disgusting human being. No, no, no. The rules have to apply to him because if they don't apply to him, then they don't apply to you, to me, and everybody else who's listening to this. Beautiful. Well said. Well said, we, young lady. We have to love the system and it's and, and want to protect its integrity in the Constitution more than we hate him. Yes. Great. And that's what's well hard said. for people to swallow. Exactly. Well Shout out to Tracy Fuller. So happy to be alive with best guests. Happy to have you here. Um, Amy Lawrence, lovely. Uh, 
Murdoch attorney Jim Griffin said that jurors had rebuffed the defense team's questions for months, which is kind of interesting because months would imply going all the way back potentially to the trial. But anyway, um, they wouldn't talk until the book was released. And his theory was that her take on the trial led some on the jury to cooperate. Um, but what about this? And the cooperating jury's uh, attorney um, is Joe McCullough, as uh, Eric stated. But but Jim Griffin said that it's kind of interesting because he said that they were basically rebuffing the defense team until uh, the book came out. Then they were unhappy uh, with the book. Um, do you buy that? I, this is what I think, y'all. I think that when the judge asks, have you had any undue influence or, you know, those questions that he, they're asking, I think they're thinking of my neighbor, my husband. That's who they're thinking of would unduly influence me when he asked those questions. Has anybody talked to you about the case? Because she's part of the court process. She's right there beside the judge every day. She's the one that's like has this intimate knowledge of them. Um, and is protecting their anonymity and all these things, they're not thinking that the things that she says to them is wrong. And so I have a feeling that there's an it factor when they read this book and they, it just, there's a piece, it dawned on them that what she did wasn't okay. I, mean, no, I, I think that, more, I think the egg juror has always been cooperating with, um, oh, no, I think 100%, and I, this is the deal. I think, I think the new juror who gave an affidavit, may have flipped by the book, but I think the egg juror has always been mad that she was discharged from the jury. Yeah, I agree. Because that was, she gave up all those weeks of her life and at the very end when it counted, she got booted. So she's pissed. I agree with that. I don't think Dick and Jim really, they may have heard a whisper of it, but I don't think they would have known because they were doing everything they could to halt the trial. Um, you know, so-and-so has COVID, right? I mean, they were trying everything they could to kind of like make, not have to do this because they weren't prepared. I think that was kind of obvious. And I think that if they thought that there was something they could bring up in the middle of trial, they would have done it. I think they would have came in with a fucking marching band and a blowhorn and would have announced it to everyone because I don't think they, I don't think they wanted to try this case and I don't think they wanted to try it for that. Oh no, they made a motion for a speedy trial. They did. They wanted it tried quickly because they didn't think think the state was going to be ready. They didn't think the state was going to be ready and the state called their blood. They said, okay, let's do it. They're like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, They choked. I got called on their bluff and they didn't have enough to choke. You know? John, there's a uh, comment and a question here from Suzanne Silver. You have no idea what Dick and Jim said to the jurors when they knocked at their door. They might have said that they might be in trouble unless they talked. I wouldn't put it past them uh, if you want to address that, followed by this. Um, why would two jurors make statements they could be punished for if they were not true? They gained nothing from it. Jonna? So that that second point is a great point. The first point is entirely speculation, and I'm going mm-hmm. to bet that longtime attorneys who've been doing this for 30, 40, 50 years are not going to risk their ticket to practice law by lying to jurors after the fact in order to make a motion for a new trial. I just that that doesn't fly to me. That's just not plausible. But um, as to the second part, unless they send an investigator first, John, I absolutely 100 percent agree with you. Lawyers would never do that. But investigators have a way of. Doing things that lawyer and saying things that lawyers don't do. So I want to know 
Did Dick make the first contact or did investigators? Dick Harpoon did knock on one door. No, and you it had to to have been an investigator because we don't want to also become our own witnesses. We don't want that. Why we send the investigators. But so, Dick said they did it. Dick said it was Jim and him that were driving down dirt roads. They remember in his Mercedes. In his I, was Mercedes. Like, I wonder if he had uh, no pops or whatever it's called. Run yeah, they, 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 in the, at their press conference, they never said it was investigators at the press conference. They said it was them that they, was like, they, just said that they were driving first. down the road. Um, Johnny, you and I would have never done that. Amy, you and I would have never driven to an, uh, a juror's house like that. We have an investigator first. Absolutely. He's, they're so fancy. They don't, they have the investigator go out there. And that's exactly what you do. You send an investigator out to make sure that the integrity of the system happened. And some, you don't want to be a witness. John is 100% right. Yeah, you don't want to be your own witness. They don't want to be called to, to testify at this hearing that they're absolutely. One juror said it beyond the, the egg lady. And then that gave them the opening to get into the other ones. Listen, they told Correct. us. You know, as they're like telling them to fuck off, right? And I answer their door, leave us alone. I don't care about Alec Murdoch, he sucks. Hey, we know this is how it exactly would go down. Hey, hey, we know one of the jurors has already told us what the clerk report said, and then that made him hesitate. And if you don't tell the truth, right? This is what they're saying. I know it. And if you don't tell the truth, you'll be held accountable too. And then all of a sudden a door opens and then somebody starts saying something. That's how I'm, they got in that door. But trust me, the, uh, Dick Arpillion didn't knock on any doors on a dirt road. Send a hate mail to uh, Amy Lawrence at hatemail.com when you <laughs> complain to me about the cursing to uh, John Spilber. Uh, if Becky did what has been alleged, do you think she should be charged criminally? Um, she does have an attorney, Justin Bamberg, is well known uh, mm-hmm. and apparently a fine attorney. But what do you what do you say, Jonna? So here's the thing that scares me uh, just as a lawyer. When this hearing happens and I'm confident that it's going to happen. Now we have the two original jurors who are going to come forward. If they're lying and they perjure themselves, they're putting themselves in jeopardy. We've got Eric's four clients, right? If they lie and perjure themselves, I have no idea what they're going to say. Then they're putting themselves in jeopardy. Who's going to decide whether they're lying? The trier of fact at this hearing, not me, not you. A a separate person is going to make that determination. So if, and then, and then what? And then sled takes them away in handcuffs from the hearing. Like there's so, this is such a legal quagmire. It's, it's not funny. Very good point. Very I good would point. Not, that's why I would, if I were you, Eric, I would, I'd want my clients to be seen and not heard. Um, I don't know if that's going to be an option. So this is really scary from a legal perspective. Everybody is on this slippery slope. Regard, I mean, of course, everyone should tell the truth. Always be telling the truth. But who's going to make the determination? Because Eric's clients can't be telling the truth if the two original jurors who are going to come forward are also telling the truth. I don't know. I think they can. I think they can have two different experiences and two different things. I think that can happen. I you, think listen, that you and I, we all can be in a car together. We can drive down the street and we see something happen in a parking lot. And four months later, Joel has us on the show. Mm-hmm. The three of us are going to give a pretty different recollection of what right. happened. We'll be close. We'll be within the ballpark. But some of the real granular details, John, and we're going to be different on. We could differ on them. That's true. That's very well true. But we also haven't written a book about our road trip. If we wrote a book about our road trip and then we're like, oh, I, I saw this and I saw that. Somebody is going to be interpreted uh, as not telling the truth. There's a book involved here, you guys. This isn't just somebody who decided to come forward and go, you know, I don't really like what happened. I don't like it. It's not what happened. We have words on paper now. 
from the clerk of the court. That is the issue. Amy Lawrence from AGIG. Uh, Amy, question for you. If a second trial excluded financial crimes and focused mostly on the June 7th events, uh, timing, uh, hose, hose, turning the hose off, driving the golf cart, et cetera, what do you think the outcome of a second trial would be? Um, and you care to care to guess? Someone else, by the way, said that uh, they should give him a second trial, but put the uh, put death penalty on the table, the death penalty on the table. But what about a second trial, um, Amy? There's always a chance that he could uh, get away with. Uh, They're getting an a second acquittal, bite right? of the apple, right? They're getting a second bite of the apple every after conviction. So you know what to do. What did it? Although I'm not sure they do anything different because that requires self-reflection, right? And I'm not sure that they can give that. I just don't. I mean, we know them. And I always said if I had, I would never, but if I had to, if I had to defend Alec Murdoch, every time they brought a financial um, crime witness up, I would say, thank you so much for your testimony, Mr. Bland. Now, do you have any evidence about a murder? of Alec, of uh, Maggie and Paul? Do you have any evidence of their murder? And you would say no. And I'd say, thank you. I didn't think so. And then I would make a mockery of this whole financial crime. And then when the gunman, the very fancy gun uh, expert gets up, you say, lay out every fucking gun that they put in evidence. And you say, hey, Mr. Expert Gunman, could you tell me which one is the murder weapon? And well, let me, say, let me let me be a prosecutor. I'm going to be a prosecutor for you one second. I'm going to leave out the financial crimes and I'm going to tell you that the kennel video and not telling your son, hold on, not telling your son for two years that you saw their, his mother and son, the very last seconds before they were allegedly killed, that supposedly a cartel or some hitman came to your house without any guns, with the intention that they were going to break into your house, thinking that you do have guns and take your guns to kill your son and your mother. And then 10.05, when you come back at the house and you see your wife and your son laying there, that you're not going to go grab them and try to squeeze them and say, oh, my God, what happened? What happened? Have blood on you. You're going to be totally clean. And then you're going to wait 42 minutes to call your son. You're going to call your son's friends first. You're going to do a a text stream. You're going to do a Google search. You're going to call your brother. And then 42 minutes later, you're going to get your only living child on the phone. And you know what you're going to tell him? Come home. Instead of saying, go to the police right now. There's a killer on the loose. Do not come home. So I'm going to tell you, I can get a conviction without the financial crimes. Oh, I think they can definitely get it. This is the deal. What's the kennel video and the data from the Suburban is what totally fucks him, right? And then you add on that. I mean, I, I always make a joke. He was the best lawyer in the room. The show that he put on, it was like jazz hands. Like, I've never seen anything like it. Oh, Mr. Waters. I am so sorry. I am a lie. I'm a cheetah. I'm a stilla. But I did not kill my family. But when he got up there and, the, and, and and Creighton Waters asked him, then, okay, if you didn't do it, then who did it? And he said he genuinely thought it was because of the boat case. He answered the question truthfully. He genuinely killed them because of the boat case. Yeah, because yeah. any other father right, who didn't do it would have got up there and said, it's my risk. I did it. I, I may have not killed him. I didn't. But I bought a lot of drugs. In my lifetime, I have shit Johnny, a lot of people. Johnny, do you have a significant Johnny? Do you have a significant other in your life? 
Yes. Okay. If you walked home and that significant other, and I don't know if you have children or not, or you have a, you know, a nephew or whatever, and they're just executed style and they're yeah. laying there on the ground. Are you just going to stand over them? Are you going to see, you're going to first see if they're living, right? You're going to try to move them. You're not going to be totally clean when the police come. You're going to have mud on your hands. You may have a little blood, something. This guy was cleaner than if he was going to church on Sunday. It's just not yeah. good for the case, though. Not for which his, I mean, that's better for him. Uh, which kind of cut both ways. But of course, if, if my, my boyfriend were lying in a pool of blood when I came home, I'm going to rush over there. But you know what else I'm going to do? And this is horrible to admit. After I rush over there and I get blood all over me, if I determine that, you know, it's, it, there's no hope, I'm going to now worry that I'm going to be accused of killing them. I know. I know. It scares me with my, I live in a house with my wife. What if I come home and she's dead? Somebody's going to think I did it. If I call the police, we're all watching too much Dateline. I think real quick, uh, Eric Bland from Dr. Vonda K. Uh, can someone ask, uh, what they usually don't put my stuff up. That's not fair, Dr. Von Decay. I put your stuff up. Uh, the demographics of the jurors. Do we happen to know that? I used to know it, Eric. Do we know how many men, how many women, et cetera, et cetera? It's like six and six. And there's, you know, uh, I think about five or six African Americans and the rest are, you know, Caucasian. Um, it's an even mix. It's a good representation of uh, the community. Mm-hmm. Not the jury that Alex wanted. He wanted the country club jurors, but it's a representation of the community. And John, uh, this is an important point. So Becky Hill, and I spoke to uh, Neil Gordon about this, who's the co-author. She wrote a letter to the State Ethics Commission uh, basically asking if it would be a violation to publish a book about the quote-unquote process of trial from beginning to end, even though that's really not what it ended up being about. So the question here is, uh, Becky wrote, to whomever at the court to ask about what parameters were needed if she wrote this book, should they, the Ethics Commission, have advised her to wait until after the appeal? I saw their reply. Uh, How do you think they should have responded? So whenever you have a question to the Ethics Committee, and we lawyers ask them all the time, they always respond. They don't give you an answer. Generic, right? Generic roundabout thing like, oh, go look it up. And the such and such case might They they give you a circular answer. Yeah, it's like you're back in law school again, and and they're only getting what you give them. So if Becky Hill said, I want to write a book about the process, but really she wants to write a book about how, you know, uh, how guilty he was, then they can only provide the answer based on the information that they receive. So it does, it's not an out. Like she can't, she can't hang her hat on, well, I got permission from the ethics committee. No, that's not going to fly. I didn't like, Joel, how she um, said what happened in camera. It's one thing to talk about what happened on the witness stand, you know, guys in in the open court. Mm -hmm. But I think and I haven't read the book, so I may be mistaken, but I heard somebody on the show say she wrote what happened in camera. And I don't think that ever should be written about. Do you guys agree with me on that? A hundred percent. That's sacrosanct. That's absolutely sacrosanct. There's a reason why it's not on the record. Yeah. Um, this question to Eric from Andy's school. Can Eric Bland speak on Judge Newman's appointment of the forewoman that became an issue for others on the jury? So much so she wasn't the eventual forewoman by the end of the trial. Do we know what happened with that, Eric? Yeah. In the beginning of the trial, he said, you know, there's going to be a four person picked to, you know, ultimately guide the jury when it's time to deliberate or, um, you know, after, you know, he releases and discharges them to deliberate. They decided on their own they were going to pick a four person. And so that person kind of guided the jury 
you know, during um, the trial made comments like, look, let's stop talking about that or whatever, whatever. And then all of a sudden they told Judge Newman, you know, when he said, let's pick a four person, he said, they said, I already picked one. And he said, no, I'm going to pick one. And I, you know, I think that angered the jurors, um, but that's how it happened. They picked their own and Judge Newman said, no, you can't do it. I got to pick it. Amy Lawrence, I'm afraid to bring this comment up, but I just did from Chelsea Whitaker. It's come up a bunch of times. I have a question for uh, Eric and Amy, this one for Amy. How much do you all know, because this gets into a little bit of character assassination, and I, I, I want to try to stay away from that unless this is something you guys are hyper aware of. I do know. How much How I much do, do you all know about the Murdoch history of jury fixing? The consensus is that it was happening and everyone knew. Were there ever consequences for that, uh, Eric? Since you say you know, go for it. Mark Tinsley actually testified to it. Um, he saw Alex Murdoch at the trial lawyers convention and Alex was saying, came up to him and bowed up to him and said, Hey, Bo, why are you coming after me? You know, cause they are very close. They, the firms had exchanged cases. If there was multiple people in Iraq, one would get one, they'd send it to the other. And he, he said, look, why are you coming after me? And he said, look, um, Mark said, because this is a serious thing. And, and then he said, well, what County are you going to try it in? And he said, look, I'll leave it in Hampton if you don't fix the jury and he told that to Alex Murdoch. And so for Mark Tinsley to say that on the stand and say that he said that to Alex Murdoch, Mark Tinsley had knowledge that Alex had done that before. That was a very powerful thing that Mark testified to under oath. You know, what we, what we also do know is that he was getting officers to change accident reports for the, who was at fault, who wasn't. And that firm had, um, a reputation that you don't bring cases in that county without co-counseling them because they would get nowhere. And they were known for getting these really, really big verdicts because they represented so many people in that county that there was like an allegiance to it. Well, and they do a lot of things that you can do in a small county. They pay for funerals. They send graduation graduation gifts. Yeah. They do buy twice a year pig pickings for the first responders. They sponsor Dixie Youth Baseball. I mean, we can't do that in a big city. Johnny, you can't do it in New York, but in a small, small town of 3,500 people, you you can do it. And the other thing is they lived amongst the jurors. They saw them at the grocery store. You see them at the church. They're right there with these people. And so when they get up in front of them, they can be trusted. You know, I had a judge tell me a story about how um, he was in that county because we always have a traveling judge to have like an, somebody who's, you know, th- make sure there's no home cooking going on. And that um, Alex, th- that firm was trying to case and Alex's dad came and sat in the jury box and was like watching for dire and all the stuff. And he said, I had to ask him to leave. And he, no one had ever had the audacity to ask him to leave. And here's and he's the head prosecutor, right? So he's watching everybody that comes through, and he's staring them down and looking at him. He said, "And I, I made him leave." And he, because he was a new judge, he didn't bucket like he probably would have with anybody else, and he kind of went. But he said he made it very clear that no one had ever done that, and and he didn't like it. Uh, Gerald says, "I like Jana. What's not to like? Best guest in true crime." And uh, I like Jana too. Yeah, mm-hmm. Jonna's, uh, She's she says it as she sees it. Uh, Jonna, so here's a kind of a quote from, from the book, Behind the Doors of Justice. Um, Becky Hill's recounting, as she prepared to read the verdict, she writes, she was concerned that the Murdoch family's goodwill in Colton County would, quote, unquote, 
influence the jury, that's problematic, right? I mean, just that she is saying she's worried about that, about the Murdochs influencing the jury. Again, I don't think this is a matter of whether we like Alec Murdoch, like Dick Harpoon, like Jim Griffin or don't, but this is about the process again, John, is it not? Absolutely. And why would she be worried about the outcome of the verdict? She should have been worried about whether there were enough pencils, worried about whether the pizza was going to arrive on time, worried about whether the uh, there was enough toilet paper in the ladies' room. That's what she should have been worried about, not the outcome of a trial that she had nothing to do with. She wasn't a lawyer. She wasn't a witness. She wasn't a juror. So to put that in your book is A, dumb, and B, is another reason why this is happening now and why Alec Murdoch is going to get a hearing, if not a new trial, because of this. And, John, another thing here, um, Becky Hill describes a jury that, quote, unquote, bonded immediately over work, family, faith and child custody issues. She writes that they talked about current events during breaks and that they prayed uh, together each morning before walking into the courtroom. It also evinces an intimate familiarity with the jurors, recounting stories about a juror whose friends chipped in to keep him afloat financially during the trial. Others who were called to court for traffic violations and yet another, I won't get into this, got a little more personal uh, about feminine issues, but um, they're not allowed to talk um, about the trial, but it, it sounds like Becky was, very much inside the inner circle here. And uh, again, a lot happened. of that came post-trial, Joel. They tra- She traveled to New York with three of the jurors. So some a lot of that came post-trial. But I agree. It's too much yeah. detail. It's too much. TMI. Jury uh, during the trial? I mean, she, she's having personal conversations with some of these jurors while the trial is going on? Are you kidding no, me? No, 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 no. That was post-trial. But she, yeah, well, everybody was aware that they were praying. Well, see, so that again, that's just another example, another example of the things that are so wrong with she should not be. Could you imagine if the judge was doing that? You know, there's a jury instruction at every criminal trial that you're at every trial. You're not to take cues from the judge. So if a judge is yawning, if a judge is like rolling his eye, which a judge should never do during the trial and you're a juror, you have to ignore that. So if you're befriending and uh, the clerk is giving you feminine protection because you're on your period during deliberations it's just <laughs> no it's just so i this is getting worse and worse because i didn't weird and icky. Hmm? right it's weird and icky it's got an ink factor that just didn't feel right you know and look we all like to be friendly when you're an attorney you want to be friendly with the clerk right because they can bump you up if you're running late and you need your case heard first that day and you, you're nice to the clerk, but you're not allowed to bring them coffee and donuts. You're not allowed to do any of that, but you don't want them not on your side. You don't want to piss off the clerk because then you're going to be the last case heard in that courtroom every time you have to appear there. But that's different than befriending the people who are making the decision on a defendant's life. Totally. Oh, I disagree that you can't bring a coffee or a donut to a clerk. Of <laughs> None court. of mine. Can't do that. Yeah. Hey, understand that. Yeah. In New York, in New York, they There's smack you around. Like, get me out of like my own stupidity more times than you could ever imagine. Amy Lawrence, lovely. Diana Johnson, she has a super sticker here. How come Alec can shake hands in court? Uh, There's a lot of controversy because some congressmen came up to him and they hugged. South Carolina minority leader. It was a disgrace. Yeah, that was. 
the opposite of that. What was, what was the fallout of that, Eric? Was there any fallout? It's from that? a big fallout. Um, um, Todd Rutherford is the House Minority Leader in our State House, and he represents Russell Lafitte, one of the other of the unholy Trinity, Corey Fleming being the other, and Alex the third. When Alex came in, he was guarded by SWAT special op officers, um, not just the Department of Corrections officers. He had they had a leash on him; they were holding him by a leash, and and I guess that's to protect the public or protect him. But somehow. They just let him go talk to Todd Rutherford and Todd Rutherford shook his hand and smiled and exchanged pleasantries with a double murderer. Are you kidding me? You're the minority leader of the House of Representatives and a guy's walking in who's a double murderer who's disgraced our profession. Like Jonna said, I mean, and you know, he stole $10 million from clients. He stained our entire profession in our state. And a representative leader of our state is shaking hands with a double murderer. Any other Eric, attorney in South Carolina wouldn't have pissed on him if he was on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Bland, AGIG, question for Eric. What happened to the $4 million Alex got from his father's trust? Is that untouchable? You mentioned this on Law and Crime this spring. Yeah, um, it is untouchable. Uh, and the question I asked this weekend is, why are Harpootlian and Griffin going so deep in so many different trials and so many different appeals? Just so you guys know, they appealed losing the um, vacating the confession of judgment that Alex gave to my clients for $4.3 million. The lower court ruled against them and held it was a valid judgment he gave me. They've appealed it. Who's paying them? Because I was able to get the court not to give them $160,000 for the appeal. Um Yes, he has $4 million. Supposedly, uh, his father died three days after. His father did die three days after the murders, and he left $16 million, $4 million for each of his children. Uh, Eric, this is very important, and I should have asked it earlier on. We mentioned it, but I didn't ask you the status of Stephen Smith's case. Do we know? Um, obviously, SLED investigating that as well. Man, the more we talk about this, the different tentacles, all with Mallory Beach, Stephen Smith, all these issues, Buster Murdoch doing the interview. But uh, any word on Stephen Smith here? No. And uh, I'm starting to get a little bit disappointed. I, you know, there was a lot of uh, energy by SLED in the spring. They told me they were going to reallocate all the officers that were on the Murdoch case to Stephen's uh, uh, homicide. They declared it was a homicide. I, I'm confident that they know of five or six people that have information, and I know that these people are uh, keeping quiet. They don't know, I guess, who did it, but there is an impaneled grand jury, but it's moving a little bit slower. And, you know, in a couple of weeks, I think I'm going to get a little bit more vocal, but now I have nothing new to report, unfortunately. And there have been uh, some persons of interest named there. I still have to get to the financial crimes. These are high-powered attorneys I'm dealing with, and uh, they've got big billable hours. So uh, that's what makes me tense. I got to keep it moving here. But real quick, uh, John, to you, uh, you know, this whole thing with Becky Hill, um, the, we go back to February 24th. She claimed that uh, some guy named Timothy Stone, who's the egg lady's apparent uh, ex-husband or ex-lover, uh, she, she was the ex-wife, was out talking, getting drunk. Mm -hmm. uh, this is what prompted this 
removal ultimately from Judge Clifton Newman to get rid of the egg lady. Uh, but apparently there was this big post on Facebook that ended up not necessarily being true or real. Are these all sorts, the, the sorts of things that this sled investigation now is going to have to go back and look at to try to get to the bottom, Jana, of what was actually going on here and what wasn't. Even a Domino's pizza driver was brought into the mix who allegedly said that uh, the egg lady had said some stuff. And Becky Hill claimed that this Domino's pizza driver said some things that apparently were never said. So there's so many layers to this. I mean, how do you unravel it, I guess, is my question. You have to rely on SLED to do all that. Well, and we know that Harpootlian doesn't want to rely on SLED to do all that, but that's a confusing yet really key fact, right? Because that fact alone, if it's proven true, means that Becky Hill intentionally told a lie to tamper with this jury. Now, I don't know how easy or hard it's going to be to prove. I mean, they have like forensic evidence that there was no such post or the post was put up and taken down but before any of this could happen like it's a little bit confusing right now to me but that's a key fact because that is not something that's left up to interpretation that's a flat out bullshit if if in fact that happened intentionally to to change the composition of a jury in the middle of a murder trial that's what's going to get Becky Hill in a whole lot of trouble. Even if you've got four jurors that say, no, I didn't hear that. And two jurors that said, yeah, I heard that. This whole thing, the provable thing with the post is it is a different ball game in my opinion. Amy Lawrence, you got to get to these financial crimes. So Alec Murdoch still faces more than a hundred counts of financial crimes. He's 55 years old. Uh, he's alleged to have stolen more than $8 million from clients, including Eric Bland's clients, the Satterfield family. Uh, as Eric alluded to, he was in court last week. Um, he was literally leashed uh, and handcuffed, but he came in smiling. Um, to you, uh, how did he look from a uh, lifestyle in state prison standpoint um, when you saw him, Amy Lawrence? I thought, I thought he looked good. Didn't you think he looked good, Eric? Unfortunately, yeah, he had. They they gave him obviously a brand new jumpsuit so that uh, the SEDC could look good. It was crisp. It was orange, bright. Haircut. He did have a little bit of the crazy eyes, Joel and Amy. Um, but, you know, I was right behind him, and you know, I wouldn't say it's institutional eyes yet, but he had crazy eyes of okay, I'm in alone in a cell, and this is a, I'm finally out. I'm like having a field trip. He he definitely had that you know, anxious, agitated look on his face and he was looking around the room. And Did you, you know, make eye contact, Eric? Did he acknowledge you in any way? No, no, I didn't make any eye contact with him, no. He's a scumbag. Okay. I'm not going to give him time today. Uh, well, well put. That's one way to say it for sure. So uh, Judge Newman said he's going to stay on trial, Eric Bland, on November 27th for charges that he stole millions from the family of his former housekeeper, Gloria Much Savage. to the chagrin of Harpootlian. Yeah. So what's so tell, you know, fill in the, the, the lines here. There was a chessboard. Harpootlian had a chessboard that he was working and that chessboard is that he is hopeful to get the, the murder trial reversed and get a new trial. He's pleading heart. He's pleading Alex guilty on September 21st in federal court. So his goal is to get Alex pled guilty, get the pre-sentence report done over the next four or five months and then he gets sentenced by Judge Gurgle in federal court and let him load him up. Then the murder trial gets reversed. When they go through this jury situation, he gets a new trial. He's not convicted. He goes over to federal court. Judge 
Newman thwarted that because he said, no, we're not going to try this case next fall in the fall of 2024. We're going to try it this fall, the day after Thanksgiving. And Harputlian went crazy and said, I'm going, I'm going over to Slovenia. My wife's an ambassador. I'm spending Thanksgiving there. Judge Newman said, well, you know, you're going to have to prepare while you're over there and fly back on Thanksgiving Day. And that is a problem because if you get convicted in state court, you get sentenced immediately, which will put them right back in state court. And they're not consolidating all the financial crime trials, Joel. They're doing them one by one. Why? Three felony convictions gives you life without parole. They'll whop them. And so Uh, the, 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 the state has so many backstops. He'll never get a fresh breath of air. It's just a question, is he going to do it in federal prison or state prison? But guys, we're safe. That man is never coming back in our lives. Yeah, and and that's been the argument that they're making a play for federal prison because it's a lot easier to do time, apparently, in federal prison than state prison. Jonna, to you, uh, Dick Harputlian's exact quote, what is the hurry, he said to uh, Judge Newman. Uh, He's pleading in federal court next Thursday to every allegation the state has made. And then Dick Harputlian made the argument um, that it's nearly impossible to find an impartial jury. And he asked Judge Newman, where are you going to get a jury on Mars? Um, Is he just doing what a defense attorney needs to do, Jonna? No, he's making a good point. And I think my colleagues will agree with me. Look, when you we all have uh, hundreds of clients right between us. So if we say to a judge, we're not available on such and such a day for such and such a month to do a, a gigantic trial over again, for that judge to say, screw you, fly back from Slovakia on Thanksgiving is, a, is like stabbing you in the heart. And it's, to me, it's unprofessional. We all have clients. We all have schedules. We know he's not going to see you. Didn't hear Harpootlian, you didn't hear Harpootlian make fun of Judge Newman before he made that, he made that decision. Well, then Harpootlian. Harpulian um, said to Judge Newman, you're making a joke. Judge Newman said, no, I'm not joking. Then he said to him, you're not going to be hearing these cases because you're going to retire. And Judge Newman said, how do you know I'm not going to take senior status and hear these cases? Then he got angry at Judge Newman. Um, Harpulian was the one who did a press conference, Jonna. He's the one that went out before the microphones. So he's out there poisoning the jury pool. That's what he was trying to do with a press conference on the state house grounds in front of the court of appeals. That was his way of poisoning the jury pool. So everybody here has skin in the game. Harputlian was saying podcasters are out there. They're, they're talking about it all the time. His partner, Jim Griffin has a podcast started it four weeks ago. So Harputlian also made a mistake when he said the state wanted to try this case so fast. We didn't want to try it. Creighton Waters stood up and said, Judge, he's the one who made a motion for a speedy trial. You know what Harputlian said? Well, they accepted it. I mean, come on. It's ridiculous. Harputlian made Judge Newman mad and got the result that he shouldn't have gotten. I don't think he was trying to paint a jury, though. I think he was trying to make Judge Newman put it all out there to hold him accountable to get the new trial like it's so outrageous but it all fell flat that's the problem because he didn't say it with any conviction i mean if he really if he said it with conviction this is what the juror said happened with conviction instead of i believe they might testify to this 
then it would have been the only option for Judge Newman to give that trial because I truly believe that this is like Judge Newman's kind of swan song. This is his last big thing that he's doing, and it was done beautifully. And he, it's gonna it's going to take an insurmountable amount of evidence for him to overturn it, even whether it's conscious or unconscious. And I think that that was him trying to push Judge Newman to do what he wants. Well, and he wants him conflicted off the case. He Judge one, he Newman said, "You're a witness." He was and trying two, to make a witness said, too in that case. Yeah. And two, he said, "You you you need to be conflicted off based on the comments you made during the sentencing." Remember, he said that, Amy, and that yeah. that that's not a basis to I get him off. I was texting with Amy and Taylor Bell. We're all like all the lawyers in our group are like, are they, "Is he trying to disqualify Judge Newman?" Yeah, and I'm like, really bad. that's a mm, mm, Amy, mm. Amy Lawrence. This was kind of a low blow from listener. Does Poot have the time and energy for a second Murdoch trial? The guy's pretty spry still. He's no spring chicken. And some people, he's coming to Crime Con where I'll be this weekend. And people are poking fun that his picture is like 20 years old. But uh, he's got energy. He could handle a second trial, don't you think, Amy? Uh, yeah, I just don't think he wants a second trial. I, but I do think that this really has nothing to do with. I don't think he's. I don't think he's getting paid. Although I don't think he does anything where he doesn't get paid. Um, I think this is more about ego than anything. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to see a new trial team. You said. I, I think mean, somebody's going to be added to this trial. I think somebody's going to be added. Nothing will get done in the judicial system for another six weeks in South Carolina. The 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 gears of, of justice will halt. I think there's going to be a new addition to the trial team. There you go. You just heard Eric Bland live on SCS saying if Alec Murdoch gets uh, a retrial, it's going to be a new legal team. Kelly P. No, not a total new team, but an, a, a substantial addition. Addition. A uh, question for Eric. Can Judge Newman stay longer than the said retirement? Can he see yes. this through, Eric Bland? He can. Okay. Yes. Um, Our former Chief Justice uh, still sits and hears all of asbestos cases. So it's the, the current Chief Justice designates what the senior uh, senior judges can do. Uh, so another guy, and then we're going to start to wrap up, get final thoughts. Corey Fleming, uh, he's a disbarred attorney, another one in the state of California and a friend of Alec Murdoch. He also appeared before Judge Newman uh, this past Thursday, pleaded guilty. Um, Gloria Satterfield, the family is Eric Bland's client. Uh, his Her sister, a woman named Ginger Hadwin, she spoke up in court. She said she forgives Corey Fleming, but it doesn't take away uh, from the hurt he caused the family. Uh, and she said, and this is a direct quote, we feel like that Gloria did not die in vain because her case actually brought out a lot of other corruption and dishonest deeds that were done to other people. How is the family doing, Eric? They're, they're, uh, they're doing okay. They're, they're now getting a little bit frustrated because obviously I just told you they appealed uh, that afternoon at four o'clock, a, a decision that we had won in front of another judge in, in attempting to vacate the confession of judgment. I also spoke for about 15 minutes. And what I spoke to Judge Newman about is the stain that Corey Fleming did on our profession that, you know, the lawyer jokes are going to multiply by tenfold. Uh, he did more harm to our state and our, our, our profession that lawyers are stealing money. And I told Judge Newman, you need to sentence the crime, not so much to sentence the criminal, because unfortunately, nice guys do commit crimes. And Corey seems to be a nice enough man. But the crime he committed was very serious. And Judge Newman took that seriously and said, 
that he had just sentenced the teacher uh, of the year two weeks before in the trial who left her uh, disabled child in a car for eight hours during 100-degree weather. And when the car was opened up, the child died, and it was 139 degrees, and he gave the woman 37 years. So when we all heard that, everybody knew that Judge Newman was going to load up Corey Fleming, and he did. Hmm. Uh, the uh, the statement from Attorney General Alan Wilson about Corey Fleming, uh, Jonna, this is for you, and then we'll start to wrap up. He wrote, in South Carolina, no one is above the law. We're pleased with Corey Fleming's sentencing and hope his victims feel a little relief today. Our office has worked tires- tirelessly on this case, just like the rest of the Murdoch-related cases, and we are committed to seeing each and every one through to the end. Uh, he is the uh, figurehead, obviously. Uh, for the, uh, you know, the uh, legal system in the state of South Carolina. Is that the major message here, uh, that no one is above the law? We've, we see the fall of these attorneys uh, in the state kind of tumbling over like dominoes, including uh, Richard Lafitte, uh, who is not an uh, attorney as far as I know, but ran a financial institution. But what about that, that no one is above the law? Well, I always agree with that statement. And it seems like, I mean, you, my, my colleagues are much more familiar with the South Carolina bar. Um, but, you know, look, this unraveled really fast. It, this unraveled, I mean, this whole, uh, uh, what do you call it, dynasty, the Murdoch dynasty, they weren't, apparently they were not good guys at all. I don't know. I don't care how much money they gave to the Little League or the, you know, the Piggly Wiggly or whatever. It, they were not good. I mean, if you believe all these financial crimes and the way they hurt their clients and the lies and, you know, just they were never good. So I, I think this is a not a fall from grace because I don't think there was ever grace. This is just a friggin' fall and good, good. And everybody connected with it. See ya. Don't drop what we found. What we, we saw play out in court, Joel, um, was the tension between the state and federal court in our state. Judge Gergel announced a sentence for Corey Fleming of 46 months last month, and he said, it's my hope that Judge Newman will listen to me, that this is enough time, and that whatever time he gives will be concurrent. When it came time for um, uh, Corey's attorney, Debbie Barbier, to say that, that uh, Judge Newman, uh, we asked that you listen to Judge Gergel. Judge Newman stopped him and said, I'm a sovereign judge in a sovereign state. And these are state court charges in front of me. I didn't even read Judge Gurgle's transcript. I don't care what Judge Gurgle gave him. I'm going to give him the time as if Corey Fleming is before me for the first time. And so we have a real big tension going on in these cases between the state and federal courts, which you never see play out in public, but it is. Amy Lawrence, number one, afraid to drop an F-bomb. She works for the civil rights of the wrongfully accused. She is passionate and uh, she's been on the Dr. Phil show. Amy Lawrence, is this going to go to a retrial? What are you expecting next? Oh, you're muted. Amy, you're muted. Well, sounded great, though. Sorry, I was yelling at my kids, like, take a shower, like, get in the bed. <laughs> my husband's in there. He's, you know, being the dad, the fun one. Yeah. Um, I don't. I think there's a piece of us that wants to st- wants to put it to bed, right, for everybody so we can kind of move forward. But on the other hand, like, it's the train wreck we can't take our eyes off of. And we have this, like, little thing in, our, in us that wants to see another, you know, for it to continue on just a little bit because it's so interesting and we're hoping that more evidence will be brought out or we'll get to see something differently. Um, my hope 
is that the system works. And if those jurors get up and testify that what is in these affidavits is true, that the Constitution wins, the system and the integrity of it wins, because that's that's the the big overlying problem in this case to begin with is that everybody did something to circumvent it and no one was ever held accountable. So, and I hope it's all done in the sunshine and in the spotlight because we all need to see exactly the only way to snap out darkness is to shed light on it. And we need to see it. It needs to be public. I think we can keep the jurors anonymity there, not show their face, that kind of stuff and not show their name, but we need to hear all the evidence that way we can all feel better about the integrity of the system. Jonas Bilber, first time on uh, SCS. Hopefully it is uh, the first of many. She's a popular and outspoken attorney. Love uh, what she brings to the table. She's been on Fox News Channel, my own home, old home, the Fox Business Network, other television networks. She's a resident legal expert. Um, Thursday morning on the number one morning radio show in New York, Hudson's Valley, WPDH 101.5. She also co-hosts the award-winning radio show Happy Hour with Jonna and Carol, which airs weekly on K104.7 FM. I'm going to have to see if I can get that on uh, on uh, TuneIn, which is what I listen to a lot of radio yeah. on because mm-hmm. I'm a weird guy that listens to radio. Uh, Jonna, uh, is there going to be a retrial here? Um, Dom's mom says, come back, Jonna. Well, on the record, will you come back, Jonna? Absolutely. Yes. All right. Love it. Um, will, my arm. <laughs> will there be a retrial? hundred <sighs> percent is going to be a hearing. I'm 85%. There's going to be a retrial, but it, and it doesn't matter. Any retrial will not be a victory for Alec Murdoch. Any retrial will be a victory for the process will be a victory for jurisprudence, will be a victory for the Constitution, because we want everybody to have a fair shot, guilty or not. And if he didn't get one, he deserves one. Not going to change anything. He's still going to be sitting in a cell for the rest of his natural life. But we need to we need to preserve and protect the system for everybody else, not just Alec Murdoch. Eric Bland, what can I say? You know the uh, name, you know the face. He has been uh, one of the centerpieces of this Alec Murdoch saga, whether he likes it or not. He's now representing four Murdoch jurors. He's also uh, representing the Satterfield family, uh, as well as uh, members of the Stephen Smith family in all of this. Um, Eric, how are you holding up through all this? For all the love you get, you get plenty of hate, too. Um, does it start to weigh on you after a while? I, I, I You know, I always see you uh with that smile on your face you're uh, a mensch no. you do media you come on my show i don't know why but you do it but um is it is you're it your emis <laughs> does it start to weigh on you after no. a while Good. no it's okay it's okay haters will hate and you know when you when you say things and look the fact matter is when people see me frequently they're starting to you know, the, the positive energy that they gave me now turns to negative. It's okay. It's okay. I got a job to do and, you know, I can handle it. I got thick skin. I've been doing this for going on 36 years. It's, you know, it's part of the, part of the territory. And, uh, what do you say? Retrial or no retrial? Uh, I think John is right. I think there'll be a hearing and I think it's less than 50% chance there'll be a retrial. Less than 50%. You heard it, uh, here. Tonight, for these best guests, quick programming note. 
got an interesting show tomorrow night. Uh, we've got some former inmates coming on to talk what life is like for Alec Murdoch and Danilo Cavalcante, that PA fugitive who was just caught. Danny Masterson, uh, the now convicted rapist, Charlie Adelson is about to go to trial in the Dan Markell case and could face life in prison. So we're talking to some former inmates who did a hard time about what it's like behind those, uh, Behind those prison bars. That is not a place I ever want to go. Uh, Wednesday night, we are doing Dan Markell, 7 p.m. Eastern time. The latest on that case is going to be a new judge. Charlie Adelson's trial in that case starts about a month from now. But at five, two hours before 5 p.m. Eastern time, guess who I'm bringing on? I'm bringing on three canines, three dogs that I'm going to talk to about the kind of work they do day in and day out. Can't wait to speak to them and their handlers until then. Love you, America. Love you, South Carolina. Love you, Poughkeepsie. Love you, Manhattan, New York. Uh, Where else? The Republic of Ireland uh, and everywhere. I love everyone. Until next time. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and... The chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.